Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Chris McDaniel, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio this week is... Jason Rosenbaum. And... Marshall Griffin from, from Jefferson, Jefferson City. From Jefferson City, I should have added that, yes. Um, so we're doing a split show this week, uh, coming to you from two sides. Yes. We haven't done this in a while, but we like to shake things up here on the Politically Speaking Podcast. After months of just having guests. Yes. So we're going to get to a few topics. We're going to talk about the budget uh, that's going to the Senate, I believe. Uh, Marshall can enlighten us about that. And then we're also going to get into the transportation tax. And then in the second half of our show, Jason, who are we going to have? We will be talking with State Senator Paul Lavoda, a Democrat from Independence, about his uh, journey into Missouri politics, about a potential about... Uh, right to work and Medicaid passing through the Senate and Democratic prospects of digging out of their deep, deep legislative hole in the General Assembly's upper chamber. So let's get right down to it. Marshall, one of the legislature's biggest responsibilities is passing the budget. Where does it stand right now? Right now, the Senate uh, Appropriations Committee is uh, going through the state budget. Uh, It's possible that it could be wrapped up today or possibly Thursday. Uh, they've been making some uh, fairly quick progress on it. Um, one notable thing that they did that uh, could set up a showdown with the House, uh, it seemed like they were the House and the Senate were mostly on the same page. It was them versus the governor. But the first real House versus Senate budget issue has come up. Um, as you may know, the, uh, uh, the House Republicans are adamant that uh, the uh, National Park Service is uh, not doing a very good job of managing the Ozark National Scenic Riverways and uh, They've set aside $6 million to operate that uh, park as a state park if uh, the if they can agree to get the National Park Service or the federal government to agree to turn it over to the state. Highly unlikely, but they've set aside uh, $6 million to do that. Well, the Senate Appropriations Committee, also Republican-led, stripped that money out, which is something that uh, I'm sure has made um, a lot of House Democrats very happy because there, there was some very strong war of words over um, – over the who would make a better steward of the uh, National Scenic Riverways and the uh, current and Jack, uh, Jack's Fork River in that area. Now, Marshall, every year there seems to be some sort of thing that caused the House and the Senate to be at loggerheads over the budget. Uh, maybe this is one of those things, but do you see any other big issues that are going to cause a, a showdown like we've seen in previous years? Or is the fiduciary situation of the state stabilized enough to where it's going to be relatively uneventful this year. I This is just my opinion, but I don't think we're going to see a huge showdown between the House and the Senate, e- even with this uh, difference over the, um, the the spending on Ozark National Scenic Riverways. Uh, I, at this point, I, I, think, I think that will probably resolve itself, and I don't see any major – I don't see any major conflict brewing between the House and the Senate over the budget. Uh, the, main, the main battle line is, at this point still remains House and Senate Republicans on one side and uh, Democratic Governor Jay Nixon on the other. I don't think that's changed at this point. Um, now, of course, it's, there's still you know, five and a half weeks left to go. Anything can happen. But at this point, it still looks like the, the House and the Senate uh, Republicans, for the most part, are still on the same page. And the biggest difference – between those two sides, the House and Senate Republicans and Democratic Governor Jay Nixon would be allocating money for Medicaid, I, I assume? Uh, of course, yeah. In fact, um, the, it's uh, still looking uh, very bleak, very uh, grim for uh, Medicaid expansion. 
uh, to have any chance. And that includes um, a, a, a limited expansion mixed with reforms that's uh, being sought by uh, some House Republicans and also now by uh, Senator Ryan Sylvie. Uh, even that uh, remains uh, remains very uh, bleak as far as uh, getting through this year. And we're, uh, we'll be talking about that later on the show with Senator Lavota, and, and we tentatively have Senator Sylvie booked for next week to talk yes. about his plan. So that's a little bit of a preview for our listeners. But continue. Yeah, it, it's it's amazing. Um, I've I was not present at the time that this happened because I was covering another story at the time. This this is the sometimes the the, the downside to you know, to being the uh, the only the only person in Jefferson City is that uh, you you cover something good and you miss something else that's uh, just as good or sometimes great. And what I'm referring to in this case is the the blow up that happened on the Senate floor between uh, uh, Republicans Ryan Sylvie. And John Lamping over um, uh, this uh, alternate Medicaid proposal that uh, Sylvie is uh, is hoping to to get through. Yeah, I, li- uh, I listened to that online. It, it was it, it was really amazing. You know, they were they were going at it uh, pretty hev- heavily for twenty minutes and got uh, pretty heated. Yeah, it, it got very heated. It <laughs> it, it was uh, some something something to behold, as uh, from what I've told. I, and I. I have just received a copy of it in a, a few minutes ago in my email, so something I'll uh, listen through. And it, of course, th- this happened last week, but uh, this could this could actually affect. It could possibly affect um, how other things happen in the Senate. You never, you just never know. You know, can, can uh, Lamping and Sylvie put the, put this set this aside and work together on other issues, or will this um, will this you know, become a sore point that could affect other things. Well, I that's mean, always the, that's well, always the wild. Lamping's only going to be in the legislature until September, and then he's leaving. So, there's only a finite of time, finite amount of time for this relationship to heal. I would assume. Well, this leads us into our second topic, yes. in which Lamping may play another very important role in transportation tax, which is um, yes. an issue that I think. Marshall and I have both been following pretty closely for the last year or two. Um, Marshall, just kind of explain what this proposal would do and how it would impact the state's transportation infrastructure. Well, basically, it would um, create a temporary one-cent sales tax that would go toward transportation needs. Um, It would only be in effect for 10 years. It it would need voter approval to uh, become part of the Constitution. It, It would be a constitutional amendment. And for 10 years, um, a one-cent sales tax would uh, be in effect that would be used for transportation needs across the state. Uh, from my understanding, 10% of that funding, um, actually 5% of that funding would be designated for county needs, another 5% for city and uh, municipal needs. So right. it would, so, and, that, and that would include um, funding for, um, for mass transit, uh, for transportation systems. So it wouldn't just be roads, highways, and bridges. It would be whatever transportation needs um, that a local or county municipality uh, feels is uh, needed. Right. Uh, For example, if if a pot of money went to St. Louis County and St. Louis City, I guess they could hypothetically decide to spend that on Metro, which is the the, um, uh, train and bus service that serves both those counties. But continue. Yes. Um, and it would need voter approval after 10 years if they wanted to keep it in place. Now, um, the, as far as the estimates, uh, it could raise uh, billions of dollars in revenue or, depending on your viewpoint, take millions of dollars away from revenue and away from other services. 
Um, the the one the one solid figure that I've seen is just over seven hundred million dollars uh, for the first year that it's in effect. I believe seven hundred twelve. I have to look that just that number up. But um, but the, but the, uh, the 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 good the uh, the positive the, uh, the the people that are are pushing this are saying this that Missouri is losing money. I mean, we've already seen this that uh, Missouri's transportation system is uh they're they're they've got a real money crunch their their outlook is bleak they've they've put a freeze on uh on adding new projects to their five year um uh construction program you know they're they're estimated to only have i believe four hundred fifty or three hundred fifty million dollars available to just maintain the current uh highway system uh in an upcoming about three or four years from now so it, it's a pretty bleak picture they just adopted a 20-year long-range plan that they've already admitted they can't really afford or can't really afford to, to put into place all the things they would want to do with this plan. So they've got to they got to come up with something. So and this and, is and there this was a bicycle the, kerfuffle, wasn't there? Yes, there was. Um, there uh, there was language. Uh, there was an amendment that was uh, floated by uh, Representative Paul Kurtman that would have removed the word bicycle uh, from this bill, meaning that. Uh, he he basically said that you know the, that a constitutional amendment should not be um, approved or enacted just to be able to to keep uh, ma- keep and maintain bicycle trails. He just thought that really didn't belong in a bill that's that's meant to address roads, highways, bridges, um, and and other big transportation needs. And that that caused a real stink, you know, with bicycle groups. Uh, Chris uh, Representative Chris Kelly basically said, you know, you're you know a lot of people use bicycle you know lanes along roads that go across bridges you know if you're going to take that out you know you're going to you're going to upset a lot of bicyclists you know that's just it's just not going to fly you're going to lose support for this you know bill that could do a lot of good if you take that word out and eventually it was uh, uh, Kirkman uh, did not contest um, the, the the amendment being defeated so so that's out of the way Jason what do you think of this bill's chances of passing what do i think that the chances of it passing are uh low (laughs) and and here's why um and marshall knows this too so i think it will probably i think it was perfected uh and i i think it's actually being debated as it's being as we're recording this so my assumption is it's going to pass the house similar to what happened last year but yeah it's I don't really see how much has changed in the last year to prevent it from running into the John Lamping at Emory Rodshaw filibuster wall yeah. that they killed it last year. And it also was opposed by our, our guest, Paul Lavoda of Independence. He spoke during that filibuster and said that he was opposed to it because he was afraid, among other things, that it was going to take money away from other services like schools. Yeah. And Unless they decide to previous question this, which would be Republicans previous questioning other Republicans, I, I just don't see how anything has changed to where the same result wouldn't happen. And frankly, I'm kind of surprised they're going the legislative route, given that this obstacle still exists this year. I've read reports that the the handlers behind this aren't even circulating petitions, which is kind of risky at this point in time. If they're not doing that, and I could be wrong, they may be doing something simultaneously. It, it just seems like a situation where they're putting all their eggs in a legislative basket that has a giant hole in it, essentially. That's my terrible metaphor for the day. But Marshall, isn't that kind of your 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 expectation as well, or do you see it happening differently? I haven't seen anything coming out of the Senate that would be different uh, uh 
from la- from what happened last year. Um, unless there's some really significant horse trading that's going on behind the scenes, I yeah. I really don't see it getting out of the Senate. And frankly, I'm surprised too that uh, the initiative petition. Um, um, approach has not been uh, tried or at least tried aggressively at this point. I do think that uh, if this if this uh, resolution does fail again this year like it did last year, we might see a, an amped up uh, citizen initiative uh, petition drive uh, to get this passed. But, but wait, but, but the, if they haven't started collecting signatures yet, and again, I don't know whether that's true, but I've read reports that, I mean, if this fails in April or May, the deadline to turn in signatures, I believe, is May. Well, I, I was actually thinking 2016. Okay. Maybe I should have added yeah. that in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For this year, it would be out. But maybe I'm, I'm thinking a, an aggressive petition drive that would uh, aim at 2016 or maybe possibly 2015 if that's doable. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it's, it, I'm thinking it, all their eggs are in one basket this, for this year. All right. Well, we're going we're gonna to take a brief break, but when, we be, when we're back, we'll have our guest. Jason, why don't you tell us a little bit about him and, and what his district in, uh, encompasses? Well, uh, Senator Lavota is the former House Minority Leader. Um, he is the, the senator. Let me, let me start over. Yeah. Senator Lavota is a former House Minority Leader. His Senate district encompasses most of the city of Independence and parts of eastern Jackson County and the western part of the state. And um, he's had kind of a, a, an interesting political path to the legislature. He was one of those people that we talk about on this show occasionally who tried at first to get into the legislature or into office but failed, but then kept trying and, and eventually won. And I think that he's probably one of the future leaders within the Missouri Senate Democratic Caucus, especially as some of the current leaders like Jolie Justice leave due to term limits. So it will be interesting to hear his take not only on the future of, of Medicaid and right to work, but also his his thoughts on how the Democrats are going to expand their number in a chamber. As I mentioned before, they're in a very, very deep hole. In. We'll be right back. We're back. Joining me in studio in St. Louis is Jason Rosenbaum, and joining us from Jefferson City is State Senator Paul Lavota. Thank you very much for joining us. Sorry, I can't be there with you in St. Louis. Well, well it's it's not it's not so beautiful in St. Louis today, no. so you're you're not missing out on too much. It is not as beautiful as the Harry S. Truman Presidential Library, which I believe Nothing is in is, your really. district. So. <laughs> yes, true, true. You have kind of a. A lengthy tenure, not only in county politics, but also state politics. Tell me a little bit about what prompted you to get involved in elected office and just kind of about your political path that got you to the state Senate. Sure. Um, I guess I'll start at the uh, beginning when I got involved in politics. Uh, My father, Sam Lavota, decided he was going to uh, run for city council, and uh, he drove us to a neighborhood, gave me a a stack of brochures pointed at the neighborhood and said, go walk door to door. So at eight years old, I was in politics. Um, from there, he uh, ran the Jackson County campaign for Jerry Litton, helped out Ike Skelton in that area. And, uh, you know, when you're around people like that, you're inspired to do great things. Additionally, when you grow up in Independence, uh, home of Harry Truman, um, what an inspiration he is, a common man who made such an impact to the world 
that uh, I kind of went down the path of thinking that public service um, was a great thing to do. So I, you know, I did student council and college stuff, and then came back home, ran for state representative, unsuccessful. Then ran, um, was successful, uh, was in the House for eight years, um, became minority leader, which is a great honor um, to lead the Democrats over there. And then uh, in 2012, elected uh, state senator. Um, and I'm in my second year in the Senate. And it should, so. it, yeah, it should be noted for our listeners, especially listeners who have been looking at MEC, MEC filings and seen people who have donated $275,000 for their own state Senate race. Senator Lavota did not have a primary opponent or a general election opponent. So his path to the Senate seat was a little bit easier than some people who are running for office this year. That's kind of an aside. It, but It was. I'll, I'll acknowledge that, but i also say that I had kind of a— uh, tough going at first when I ran for the House. And I think um, working hard and being there for the constituents, reaching out in many different ways, kind of showed uh, my work ethic and that I was dedicated to the district. And I think that had a lot to do with um, the fact that people felt like I was the right person for senator. And as kind of an aside, I believe either your second or third reelection, you actually defeated Noel Torpy who ended up being your successor and who we'll be talking about in a few minutes because he's yeah, involved the, in the Medicaid the, situation. I beat him in 2002 and 2004. Yes. So there you go. It, yeah. It's one of those situations, as we've talked about on the show with Paul Kurtman, of people who have run against each other but are now serving in the legislature at the same time. So you're part right. of that exclusive club. So yes. congratulations on that. Very exclusive. But let's kind of dive in right right about issues right now. Um, as I kind of alluded to last week, the Senate kind of got into a, a pretty high profile and sometimes heated discussion about Medicaid expansion. Um, one of your colleagues from the Kansas City area, Ryan Sylvie, has not necessarily introduced a bill because I guess it's too late to introduce legislation, but he's introduced kind of a conceptual plan yeah. about, quote unquote, Medicaid transformation or Medicaid reform. Now, before we get into that, what is kind of your view of this issue and what would you like to see happen? Because I know that the Democratic wish here on Medicaid is is probably different than even some people on the Republican side are trying to do pragmatic things. So before we get into that specific, what is kind of your lay of the land on this issue? Well, I have uh, sponsored the Medicaid expansion bill for two years. Last year had a uh, hearing on the bill, had 30 people testify in favor of it from all different types of groups, employers, workers, patients, doctors, um, everybody, and then there was one person against it. Um, By party vote, it went down. I reintroduced that bill again this year, and then on the um, House floor, I tried to attach straight Medicaid expansion on a bill. Um, Again, by party line, it went down. Um, We have an opportunity to pull down all of our federal money that you and I as Missourians pay to benefit uh, 300,000 people to help them with health care, but also build businesses in our state. It's foolish not to do that. Straight Medicaid expansion is the easiest and simplest way to do that, Um, but because it is all involved in uh, the Affordable Care Act and Obamacare, there's not much appetite for that. So, um, you know, last week, I forget what day it was, but I began inquiry of of one of the proponents of it, opponents of it, Senator Lamping, and we had a a, uh, heated argument, I guess, on the floor. And then the next day, our Republican, as you mentioned, Ryan Silvey, had a similar argument, even more heated. So I think 
the the common sense of trying to do something that's a Missouri solution um, may be making sense as opposed to um, radical obstructionists that we see against this type of idea. There are some people who, who have said that Medicaid expansion or transformation or basically anything that would take it up to 138 just isn't going to happen until there are some more concrete repercussions. Do you agree with that assessment? And, and if so, what do you think those repercussions will be that, that will be persuasive? Yeah, well, I don't know. I'm not sure what you mean by concrete repercussions. Like ho- I, rural hospitals closing down as a result of Medicaid not being expanded? You know, I I don't know. I mean, we've made it very clear, the hospital association, the, the individual hospitals, like I said, patients, doctors, they've been pretty concrete. We've seen what it's done for other states. I'm not sure how more concrete we need to get. Um, the fact that it's Obamacare, I think, is still the real issue. Um, the um, weird part of it is that if you really believe in some local control and that Missouri can do it better than the federal government, then we certainly should expand Medicaid to 138 percent and make a Missouri solution. Um, that's how we could really take control of it and have something that's beneficial for our state. It seems like the opponents of, of uh, at least in the Senate, fall into kind of two categories. One is the, the person who I talk about almost ad nauseum, Rob Schaff of St. Joseph, who is opposed to Medicaid expansion. He has very specific counterproposals of what he wants to do. And we've kind of talked offline about, you know, certificate of need and tra- price transparency. It seems like maybe, as, as we've talked about, he could possibly be worked with eventually. But then there are these other senators, kind of like Senator Lamping, Senator Emery, who are just philosophically opposed under any circumstances to Medicaid expansion. And my question is, how do you kind of overcome those two tiers of opposition, not only this year, but in the future? And is there kind of a path forward, either for the Medicaid expansion you would like to see, or a Missouri solution, as you mentioned? Yeah, you know, I, I uh, don't know the path forward because, you know, when you keep coming up with facts that helps the people of Missouri and that the majority of people want this and they keep coming back with um, reasons not to do it, it's hard to overcome that. When they're so much in the radical obstructionist, they're going to go ahead and hurt the people of Missouri because they don't want this proposal. Um, as far as Senator Schaaf's ideas, there may be some merit to it. I don't see anything that he has that actually increases access to health care. It may make some things uh, a little bit better when it comes to transparency. But that's how you get it. We know we all need to be at the table to try to figure this out. And I would hope that he's at the table saying, yeah, we should bring our federal tax money back home, and we should uh, make our health care, have more people have access to it, and make it more transparent. That's the way to do it. Well, I think he's going to be a key figure. If Medicaid doesn't ex- expand this year, and he wins, which re- it looks like it won't. And if he wins re-election this year, which is not necessarily a sure thing, but he has won before, I think in the future he's going to be a key figure about whatever comes out of this. So we'll have to see. Well, I agree. I mean, in his background, uh, as a as a doctor, lends to that his tenacious uh, opposition to anything that has to do with. Um, giving more people access to health care, that has something to do with it, and um, we'll see how that goes. Now, the other thing that's kind of been in the news recently is, uh, and I'm putting it in quotation marks because people get a little finicky about it, right to work or 
yeah. right to work for Lass. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, it involves, and I wish Joe were here because she can always explain it better than I can, but it's about how, it, it, maybe you could explain what, what the proposal is better than I could. Like, what is at stake here? And Well, the proposal is to pass a law where state government gets in the middle of some type of collective bargaining between companies and their employees. It basically says what we currently have now is that they get to decide the terms of employment between two, the employees and the, and, the, um, and the company. But now we're going to put in a state law that says, oh, well, those, of, those employees that don't want to follow that type of agreement by joining the union and getting the benefits of that don't have to. I mean, it really is, um, it really is government getting in the middle of business, um, which the proponents of this measure don't want to bring up. Um, it is a way for businesses to drive down wages, drive down quality, and really is going to hurt the people of Missouri overall. So just for our listeners, right to work basically would uh, – it would make it so that employers can't make union uh, membership a requisite for employment. Is... Right, and then we'd have to honor that with, with those folks. Yes. Right. I, I, I just – just full story. I'm terrible at explaining it. <laughs> I can explain it in the story, but I just can't do it off the top of my head. So I appreciate Chris and the senator for doing that. Uh, <laughs> no problem. Yeah, I think the reason why – you know, I said at the very onset of session that I just didn't think this had any chance of passing because – once it, if it ever got past the House, which I don't think is a sure thing because there are a lot of Republicans who are from union-heavy districts and who are pretty supportive of organized labor who I think are going to vote against it, it's going to run into just this brick filibuster wall in the Senate because I imagine all nine Democrats are going to filibuster this. We actually had Senator Justice on our show a few weeks ago, and she said there's not really a scenario where the Democrats are just going to lay down, let this go through – and let this be on the ballot so it might hurt Republicans in, in legislative elections. I take it that hasn't changed since she was on the show. Is that a fair assessment that there will be a pretty well, I big bill you know, I can only spe- I can only speak for myself, and I, I'm certainly there. I will do everything I can to stop because it's bad legislation for middle class in Missouri. It really does reduce wages, re- reduce jobs, and it's just not good for us overall. And it, it is, you know, there, there's no proof that it would – add to our state. It's just simply um, big companies that don't want to have to go through the problem of dealing with unions. That's really all it's about. Now, there, there are a couple of things at play here, and a lot of this has to do with kind of, of, of numbers and inside baseball. But, I mean, do you think this would be something that the Republicans would, would unleash the previous question on? And do you think that there are 18 votes among Republicans to not only PQ this, but pass it? Because I can think of people off the top of my head you know, Ryan Sylvie, Gary Romine, Kurt Schaefer, Eric Schmidt, Tom Dempsey, Wayne Wallingford. Um, there might be one or two out here who are kind of had union support in the past. Mm-hmm. And I just am not 100 percent convinced that the votes are there to pass in the Senate. So I guess that's a two part question. Do you think this would be something the Republicans would actually use the PQ on? And do you think there are enough votes to even pass it if it ends up coming to a vote? Well, you know, I, again, I, I don't know. I, it's hard to speak for other senators, but there hasn't been a lot of talk about um, such legislation in the Senate so far. I think if you saw an appetite for it, you would have saw a Senate bill moving further. Um, we'll see what happens if the House passes something, um, what type of pressure uh, the majority gets on this. But 
right now we haven't we haven't had that bill in the Senate. Now the other bill that is moving down the process again, I'm using a jargon here. It's paycheck protection slash paycheck deception, and I think I can mm-hmm. an, can actually explain this a little better. It's it would require like written authorization for union members to have their dues used for I guess political purposes, if I'm not mistaken. If I'm wrong on that. I apologize that, to our, our tens and send tens and listeners. Send all email to Jason Rosenbaum. Yeah, but that that actually ended up, I believe, passing both chambers last year. It got vetoed. It didn't really end up going through veto session. What are the prospects for that bill, in your view? Well, uh, they passed well, – well, just to correct, it does do that on the political side, but it also says that um, it's for usually for public employee unions, those – municipalities or whatever they may be, the school districts don't have to or are not allowed to take their their dues out of their check. Mm-hmm. Well, again, that's a common thing that the union would negotiate with their employer and government is getting involved there. But with that said, there was something passed last week in the House by 83 votes, the bare minimum of what you have to get done. Um, I don't know if we'll see it in the Senate or not, but, I mean, it's clear that um, – there will be fierce opposition to that if it comes to the Senate. I'm going to be one of the leaders against that because it is such a cynical election year bill just to pick on public employee unions who traditionally have been Democrats. But if you look recently, they've they've supported many Republicans in the state. But it's just a way to, to play politics and get in the middle of hurt um, our teachers and our, our firefighters and, and those public employees. Um, so we're going to do everything we can to fight it. But then again, it may not come up because Governor Nixon will veto it again, and they only have 83 votes. You need 109 to pass something in the House to override a veto. So um, their support for that is even dwindling in the House. Yeah, I'm not sure if that version has a referendum clause on it, but if it does, I guess that isn't isn't to play. But, it, you know, this it could be a well, bill that doesn't have a referendum clause that, is, that goes to the That Senate. is true. That is true. There, there are— you know what? I think you're right. I think there is a referendum on that because they know that Governor Nixon would be against that. But, um, you know, they're, they'll, they're going to face a lot of opposition in the Senate with that bill. And that kind of almost transitions into our next topic yes. uh, of, of Senate elections because uh, Senator Lovota is in charge of the Senate Democratic effort this year. And I talked about it this a little bit on last week's show and I've written about it. This is Probably not the most robust election season as far as electoral races. I mean, the statewide is unopposed. There are some state Senate seats where I guess they there were previously competitive but are not competitive this time around. But mm-hmm. what's kind of your what's kind of your thought process on on what the Democratic um, Senate Democratic focus is this year and which particular races are going to be in on your radar. And I would assume like a lot of them are going to be in the St. Louis area, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Well, we have a kind of an advantage um, that the, the way the Senate Democrats uh, work around their election um, is that those who don't have an election serve on that committee. So we have six of us. We've decided to put together a six-year plan as opposed to a two-year plan. And our goal is to get veto-proof numbers within the next couple election cycles. Um, all your elections are always difficult for recruiting and just for Democrats in general. Um, we are very excited about an opportunity to pick up a seat in the 24th district, and I'm sure you've talked about that. In fact, I think you had Jill Shoup on. We have. We, we um, have. We yes. have. And I, yes. Yes. continue. It, and so we're going to help her, but, you know, 
she is right on the issue. She's a hard worker. She knows her district. Um, and and her senatorial went, district would be to replace Senator John Lamping, who's not yes, running for re-election. She, so. And when she wins, it will have a little to do with how much we help her. It has to do with her tenacity and how good she is for the district. Mm-hmm. Um, another district on our radar is the 22nd district. It was Senator McKenna's before he was appointed. We have a great candidate, Jeff Rorta, running for that. It's, um, again, a candidate who is knows the district, works hard, doing everything they need to do politically to win that district. So we're excited about that. Uh, the next one that uh, we look at is the 10th district, which is a little tricky because it, it moved. It's currently Senator Justice District, but it moved uh, through redistricting. We have a candidate named Ed Schieffer who's going to be competitive in that district, um, a Democrat who does very well in rural areas, um, again, doing what he needs to do. And then the, the next one I'll mention is the 34th district, uh, which is currently Senator Schaaf's district. Um, there is a, a man by the name of Dr. Bob Stuber who's a physician up in St. Joe who, because of Medicaid expansion and Dr. Schaaf's opposition to it, decided to run. Mm-hmm. So – some of these issues will come back and be part of the political process as well. Now, I didn't mention the 13 other races that we have because because either because of an incumbent or um, redistricting or whatever it may be, we don't, we don't become as competitive. Mm-hmm. But we believe if we can um, keep our 10, maybe get to 11 – we can do make some progress in 2016 to be over to be veto proof. Now, before we get into the nitty gritty on the races, is there kind of some lingering disappointment that for some of the seats that were somewhat competitive in 06 and 010, you know, the Brian Munzlinger seat, the Bob Dixon seat, the Dan Brown seat, that the, the the Democrats aren't competing there, or was that kind of just reality that because of redistricting or because the incumbent has a lot of money, it just wasn't worth it to field? A strong candidate there. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I think redistricting has a lot to do with it. I mean, you look at you look at Senator Munzlinger's district has become more Republican after that. Uh, and number two, term limits really do affect these things. Um, as you can see, there's going to be a competitive race in the 24th and the 22nd, and they're open seats. So that really makes a difference. I talked to a lot of candidates um, through or potential candidates through recruiting, and they I'll say, well, we'll wait till there's until it's an open seat. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's unfortunate because we're not able to build um, the Democratic message all the way through. But that's kind of the reality. I, I think the House has the same type of issue. So let's get in. Again, now let's actually get into the nitty-gritty because because there's no auditor competitive auditor's race, some of these Senate races are going to be the marquee races of the cycle between candidates. As Chris mentioned last week, some ballot initiatives might become very prominent. But in my view, the the battle for Jeffco, as I've called it, in the 22nd district, I think is, and kind of surprisingly, the, one of the main events this cycle. And the 24th, I think, is up there too. But we don't know who's going to come out of that primary on the Republican side. And as you kind of alluded to, it's a Democratic leaning district where the uh, Jill Shoup has a lot of advantages. But one thing I want to ask you is, there are a lot of senators who are either not running this cycle. Are who are unopposed on the Republican side who have pretty substantial war chests. Is it kind of a fear among Democrats that come January, August, September, some of those people are going to direct those money, that money to Jeffco and to St. Louis County and to Northeast Missouri? Or is that just kind of something that you're well prepared for by getting the candidates that you need? Yeah. I, 
I think that's a good question. I don't think it's a fear. It's an expectation. We know that's going to happen. It, it, it will happen. Um, they're going to be competitive where, where they can be competitive. And in a world of no campaign finance limits, they'll raise unlimited and then give unlimited. Um, we believe, and, and history has shown, that that is a competitive district and 22nd district. If you get the right person in there with the right field and the right message, they're going to be okay. We're going to help them raise some money through our efforts, and we have a more coordinated than I've ever seen the Democratic Party with uh, the assistance of Roy Temple and Chris Coster really helping um, coordinate some things. Um, we're going to be prepared for that. And and I say that, but Jeff Ward is going to be prepared for that. You know how tenacious he is. Yeah. And one other question before I, before I guess we let you go. Um, is there also kind of any worry that since Schweik isn't, ru- isn't running against a Democrat, he might take some of that war chest and direct it towards Senate and House races? Or, as Steve Kraske pointed out in his column a couple of weeks ago, is the expectation there that he might just save that for his gubernatorial run and maybe that money coster and potentially others give may be, you know, just as impactful? Yeah, I don't I don't know what the auditor will do. Um, I mean, I, I think Kraske's guess is as good as the next. Um, I I would find it hard to believe if he gave a lot of his money to the Senate effort. Yeah. I, and, and one final question. If you had to guess, would you say what would you what would you say how many Democrats will be in the Senate at the start of 2015? Um, it's, we're going to we're going to have 11. 11. I'm going to be optimistic. OK. We're, OK. We'll hold it. To, we'll hold you to that. And <laughs> yeah. if you're if you're wrong, I'm going to call shenanigans on you. So fair enough. Hey, can I don't know if you mentioned this yet, but I think I should have done this in my introduction that this is kind of a big deal that I'm on the show. Because I have my own podcast that talks politics <laughs> a, called Dialogue a podcast. with Senator Lavota. Yes. And, you know, I don't know if David Letterman ever got Jay Leno on, but this is this is a big deal that I, I – hopefully I'm helping you guys get some listeners. Well – And for all the folks that want to listen, you just – you go in your iTunes and you, you – um, search for Lavoda, and it's there, and you hear it every week. Wow, we've never had a guest promote his own podcast on our podcast. It is. I, I hear well, it's the number two Missouri politics podcast in the state. Well, I think it's number one. You guys may want to look into that, but uh, if not, we're coming at you. Oh so, my beware. god, we, we are we are in serious trouble here. Right, and shenanigans may be coming. <laughs> beware. Well, thank you for joining us, even okay. even even though you're trying to steal away our listeners. But to close us out here. You can read all of our stories at stlpublicradio.org. You can follow me on Twitter at, at @csmcdaniel. Jason, you can be followed. Jay Rosenbaum. And our, Senator, you can be followed on Twitter. Yes, at Paul Lavota. Very good. Well, we'll be back next week. Until then, so long. So long.